Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. I just got back from D.C. and I feel like I'm so much more smarter. I learned so much more about how government works. Uh, no, I'll get into that maybe later in the discussion, but had a good chance to meet with some folks in the D.C. area on the issue of religious freedom, certainly issues of school choice, what's going on in our education system. We're a part of that discussion as it relates to some of those issues with some folks, and I'll talk a little bit about that later in the segment. And so, because I have a guest in studio. Did you notice this isn't a split screen, okay? <laughs> There's really somebody sitting me sitting next to me, and we do have that capability. So if you're ever a guest on our show and you wanna come into the studio, we'd love to do that. And we're excited today about our guest because he's a good friend, somebody who you probably recognize. He is called the school choice evangelist by his critics, but I think Corey, <laughs> I mean, there's something to embrace, right? Corey DeAngelis is the senior fellow at American Federation for Children. He's also a visiting fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institute, and uh, he is a native Texan and uh, makes his home and it comes from the San Antonio area. And we're excited to have him in studio because we're right in the middle of a special session on the school choice issue. Now, the governor has other things on the special session call, but I don't think there's any doubt that the school choice issue has been getting the bulk of the attention, and that was probably the main motivator for having a school choice, uh, excuse me, having a special session. So, all right, so I'm on my phone here. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I'm gonna share this to my personal feed, and I ask you to do the same because we wanna make sure that we get a lot of people involved in this very important conversation that we're about to have with my good friend Corey Angelus. I'm doing I'm doing the same so thing. So he's doing the same thing. Now we're really gonna get some uh, some coverage here. <laughs> um let me make sure I'm sharing this. I got the quickest thumbs in the, you in do. the West. You got more uh, experience with that than I do. Okay. Um and I see them at work quite often. So Corey, listen, um glad to have you in studio in town. I know that it's almost as if you're around even when you're not in the minds of legislators that you're often, um, I mean, I don't know, irritating, you're motivating them, uh, pushing them to respond. I want to get into that in a minute. I want to talk about the political side, if you will, the strategic side, the numbers, sort of some of those workings that are going on, mainly in the House. Um, but I want to set this up for folks. We're going to try to do two main things today. We want to get into the substance of the school choice issue and the value that it brings to, to Texans and to close to five to six million students, but maybe answer some of the questions that people ask sometimes, some that are legitimate, some that people are just trying to be difficult um, and they know the answers, but then also talk about you know um, how we get there, what are the chances of something getting done, and so on. Um, but first of all, I, in case people haven't met you or don't know a little bit about you, Tell us why you're involved in the school choice issue, why it matters to you. All right, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I went to government schools, all K through 12, but in high school, I had the opportunity to go to something called a magnet school in San Antonio. Still run by the district, but it's like a milk toast form of school choice that you can choose another public school. Right. And that was on the campus of my residentially assigned school, which there was a night and day difference that I got to see for four years straight. And that was a good opportunity for me and I think other families should have opportunities too, but it shouldn't be limited to schools that are run by the government. You should be able to take your children's state-funded education dollars to the education provider of your choosing. It could be a public school, but also should be able to take that to a private religious or non-religious school if you want as well. And if you want to homeschool your kids, you should be able to get some of your money back to be able to cover the cost of, of educating your children at home. 
I also got into this work as a, as a researcher, really, at the University of uh, Arkansas in their Department of Education Reform, which is actually mm. a, a, a little more conservative than your average education <laughs> department. We're in the education school, um, totally, totally different from most Marxist uh, ed- education camps uh, in, in higher ed. And I, my first study there looked at the association between using the voucher program in Milwaukee, one, one that started back in 1990. Yeah, a while back. Followed yep. the kids all the way until they're about 25 to 30 years of age, and we're able to link that uh, program to reductions in crime later on in life. Yeah. And so that was a huge kind of uh, national splash that study made. And since then, there's been six studies on the topic. I've done two of them. They're all peer-reviewed finding more school choice, Mm. less crime, because schools aren't only shaping test scores, they're shaping the minds of your kids and they they develop their character. And a religious uh, opportunity could also uh, give you that moral foundation to reduce the likelihood of crime. Yeah, I mean, simple concepts of right and wrong, right? right? Well, we're talking with Corey DeAngelis, he's in studio with us here if you're watching on Facebook, on YouTube, on video. If you're watching on YouTube, click that little button, subscribe, wanna continue to have more people a part of this conversation. If you're watching on Facebook, drop a comment, maybe a question. Maybe we'll try to get that answered during the segment here. Um, Corey, you were talking about Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't think a lot of people know this. Senator Brandon Creighton, who chairs Education Committee and is carrying the bill in the Senate for the Texas legislature, but which, by the way, started a couple of weeks ago. A special session lasts 30 days. So we're almost at the end of two weeks. So there's not a whole lot left in that 30 days. I'm confident the governor will call the legislature back if we don't get this school choice bill done in the next couple of weeks. But he mentioned the fact that, you know, when Texas, I say when, Texas has a school choice bill passed and some new legislation on this, will be the 31st or the yeah. 32nd state. A lot of states have been doing this for a long time. Yes. And it's been working. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, 31 states and D.C. even have some form of private school choice already. The nine most So D.C. is doing education better than well, Texas. Because <laughs> Congress had to pass it and Republicans were in charge at, at the right. time uh, when they passed the program. So that's why uh, if you had to pass it with people uh, within D.C. it would have been more of a problem. But look, yeah, this isn't a new thing. And in the past two years in particular, 10 states have already gone all in on school choice. Wow. And what I mean by that is they passed universal school choice bills like the one that was passed in the Senate, meaning every single family, regardless of income, regardless of background, regardless of zip code, can now take their children's state-funded education dollars to the education provider they're choosing. That could be a public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school, but for real this time. Yeah, I heard that said actually when I was in D.C., with the, the panel discussion that was on some of these related topics. Uh, and so, you know, you hear those things in your mind and you're just like, you know, you feel like, you know, shame on me for believing that. But these were things that we were told, right? Right. But with the school choice systems, you can choose the public school. And most people do continue to send their kids to the public school. And in fact, this doesn't hurt the public schools in any way. In fact, on a per student basis, they end up with more money because Look, the, the voucher in the uh, in the Senate that passes only 8000 per kid. Yep. Texas pub- public schools spend nearly $16,000 per kid. So if you only lose about half the money, you get to keep thousands of dollars for students who are no longer there. Yep. On a per-student basis, the public schools benefit. And we have 29 studies on this topic over decades of time in several different states, finding 26 of the 29 on the subject, finding positive effects of private school choice competition on the outcomes in the public yep. school. So it's a school choice is a rising tide that lifts all boats. And we can go before Milwaukee, before 1990, in the late 1800s, 
Maine and Vermont passed the first couple of voucher programs. Which, yeah, and, and because you see this sort of setting up on political lines, and that's not historically been the case. It's not like it's a you know a Republican issue, and I don't know all the history of it like you do, but I think it's been set up that way in people's minds in Texas. That and because and honestly, there are some Democrats in the Texas House I think that are with us on this issue, and even the Senate, even though the votes don't show that. Yeah, I mean, you all know. this, all the Democrats in the Senate voted against uh, Senate Bill One, and I did some quick Google searches and found that eight out of the twelve Democrats who voted no against the school choice bill in the Senate either went to private school yeah. or sent their own kids to private school, which I don't blame them for that, but they no. shouldn't pull up the ladder behind them and tell low-income families that they shouldn't be able to have the same kind of yeah. opportunities that they had. The, the, the leader of the House Democrats, Trey Martinez-Fisher, he went to a private school at one point and sends his kids to private school. Again, I don't blame him for that. I'm, I'm glad he searches for the best opportunity for his kid, but he shouldn't tell other families in the San Antonio area where I'm from that they can't have the opportunity to go to a Catholic school or another type of Christian school. In many ways, yeah, in many ways, that's how it's playing out, though. I mean, it, it allows this sort of, you know, separation and this, you know, uh, this difference where some people get an opportunity to this and some don't. And um, in, in some of those problems that some of those kids are dealing with, they just continue to get worse. You talked about the issues of crime. Look at opportunities that some of the kids have. Um, you know, listen, I sent my kids to private school. I went to public school. You know, I, I get to make that decision, but it's not without sacrifice, right? And I think that's, you know, there are a lot of people that are looking for those opportunities to say, and sometimes the public school is a good fit most of the time, to your point, right? <laughs> You're going to see that... Um, Let's talk about some of the, you know, this is the bigger pickers. Let's get in a little more details what I hear people say, what we hear people say yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You and I mentioned this before we came on. In the work that we do, we work a lot of fo around a lot of folks that have larger families or that, that are homeschool families. So we hear that some people have been told, you know, f for a long time, oh, the school choice is going to be a threat to homeschooling. Tell us why that's yeah. not true. Well, I'll first say I'm, I'm totally with you on this on this uh, sentiment that I don't want government involvement in basically yeah. anything in our lives. And this is partially why I got into this, this work as a libertarian, uh, being skeptical of big government overreach. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, look, the government can already regulate private and home education if they want to today. So That's don't true. make perfect the enemy of the good. And they have. Look, in, in Oregon, we are talking history a second ago. In 1922, they outlawed private and home education. You had right. to send your kid to the government school in Oregon. Wow. And uh, that wasn't because of a school choice program. That was because you had authoritarians in office who wanted right. to force their views on the minds of other people's children, much like we see uh, by some on the left today. But hope, uh, thankfully, in 1925, that was overturned by uh, Pierce versus Society of Sisters at the Supreme Court, where the, the court famously wrote that the child is not the mere creature of the state. Uh, in New York City today, they're coming after the Jewish schools, for example. So, and you had some of the worst homeschooling regulations in New York it's state, and they have no private school choice. So this yeah. is a separate issue. Yeah, it's not that one leads to the other. Right? And in and fact, the states that have more school choice have the best rankings on homeschool freedom, according to the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. New York, uh, for example, and uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts have some of the worst homeschooling laws, no private school choice. Oklahoma, on the other hand, Ohio, they have some of the best homeschooling laws. And Ohio just went universal on school choice this year, and they also reduced their homeschooling regulations at the same time. Oh. So this is about who's in office, not about the school choice mechanism. In fact, if anything, allowing more families to use school choice 
actually reduces the likelihood of future regulations in at least three ways. One, you have fewer kids being indoctrinated in socialist government schools to like big government policy. They might graduate later on if they're being indoctrinated with CRT to vote to regulate homeschooling in the future, for example. Two, if you have more people using private and home education through school choice, you have a bigger coalition. Politics is all about uh, coalition building and organized interest fighting for what they want. If you have people that are benefiting from the program, they'll be able to lock arms and fight against that authoritarian overreach in the future. And three, last but not least, the more mainstream a concept becomes, the less likely the rest of society is going to think it's some icky thing that they're going to try to regulate That's right. out of existence. So this is three ways at least that school choice can benefit. And then also look at the bill. Not all school choice bills are equal, but the one in Texas and others, they have explicit anti-government regulation language built in so that if you take the money, you're not a government entity, you're still a private entity, and they can't control your creed, admissions policies, curriculum, et cetera. This is in the model legislation from the American Federation for Children and Institute for Justice, and we see that in the bills today. So, well, and, and one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. One of my biggest enemies, Randy Weingarten, who fought to keep the schools closed, is a big government socialist, obviously. She's the president of the American Federation of Teachers. She's repeated the same fear-mongering argument against school choice. Is that because she's with the homeschoolers and she's a, a limited government <laughs> no. type? No. She's trying to keep her gravy train going. So if you're on Randy Weingarten's side and not on our side, you're probably on the wrong side. Well, and that's I think it's important to look at that. You know, um, Who's making some of those arguments? I will say, as you and I were talking about before we came on, I don't know what the motivation is that some people, I know my good friend Tim Lambert, who runs Texas Homeschool Coalition, is a school choice supporter. So I don't want to say that there's a split. I think it's a, a smaller group of people. Well, that, yeah, the, the Texas Homeschool Coalition signed on to the bill yeah. in 2017 even, and, and the most recent ones. So. Yeah, so, um, but I want to at least acknowledge that because I do think people get those emails, they hear those things, and they may not realize a little bit more detail. So I'm glad that you provided some of that and I think there are a lot more people that are paying attention to this issue because they're like, oh my gosh, this might actually be happening. I should think more about what's going on. And I get that because during a regular session, there are thousands of bills filed. In a special session, it comes into focus and people are realizing that we're closer to that getting happened. I want them to feel comfort, but it might produce in some people questions that they hadn't thought about before. And so that's what we're here to help them resolve. There's a great website too txparentsmatter.com txparentsmatter.com there's a lot of uh, responses to FAQs on there um, and one more thing yeah, on that same argument is that this is all voluntary That's you can exactly make the, right. your decision to take the money or not no program has ever look we've had over 31 states with school choice since the 1800s they have never forced the family to accept the funding yeah. so you can make that cost benefit decision for your own family yeah. but you shouldn't force your views on other people's families and say that they can't have that yeah, let, let those families if it works for them let them do it if it doesn't work for your family it's not something that you have to be involved in um, we're talking with Corey DeAngelis he is the senior fellow at American Federation for Children also a visiting fellow at Stanford University in their Hoover Institute and is called by many a school choice evangelist which he's embraced is a good thing I think it's a good thing yeah, totally. and, and if it fits right I mean it's true and so um, but um, if you're listening online in the podcast We've got about 10 minutes left. We're going to shift into the direction of talking about some of the politics of this, if you will, the numbers, right? The differences between the House and the Senate, um, because that, you know, look, it's relevant. I mean, you could have the Senate be involved in this. There's a bill that's already been passed, just to catch everybody up. Um, Senate Bill 1 has been voted by the... Um, by the Senate, it's already passed, went out of committee, they had their hearing the first week of the special session. The House, there have been two bills that have been filed 
but I'm not sure we've seen the one that the House is going to rally behind, and it might be Senate Bill 1. It might That Senate bill is already over. I'm told it's been referred by our Government Relations Director, Mayor Elizabeth Castle, who's on the ground in the Capitol right now, um, watching to see if anything's going to break on this issue today and moving forward. So that bill's been referred to um, Brad Buckley's committee. It's an education committee. He was the chair of public education during the regular session. So, but we're two weeks into the special session, you know, and now some other bills have moved on some other issues, but there has been the belief based on past activity that the House was going to move a little bit slower on this. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. so not a big surprise. But let's talk about that, though, because I do think the key at this point to something getting done is whether or not the House decides to. We know the governor's all in. We know that he's been, you know, traveling the state and been meeting with a lot of these reps. I do think we have seen some movement. Um, what do you think is key or, what, you know, yeah. what's your assessment of what, um, if any movement we've seen in the House, what what have members been responsive to? What's causing them to think, you know, maybe I will support it? Well, this is a GOP litmus test issue and has become yeah. more so with the school closures caused by Randy Weingarten lobbying the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools during the COVID era. Uh, because conservatives got to see what the heck was going on in the classroom. This isn't just a blue state issue. We've had videos coming out from accuracy and media in Texas, in Utah, in Idaho, all these red states, Tennessee, where they're saying, even if we ban CRT or even if we already have, like in Texas, we're still going to do it anyway. We're going to call it social emotional learning or student mental health services. Well, and you have... They just moved the goalposts. Yeah, whatever it was you had in, was it a Virginia, where you had, was it someone from the Department of Education or some rumor about parents being called domestic terrorists? Yeah. When they pushed back against some concerns of things that were having in public schools. Right. The disrespect, I think you could say, that parents feel uh, from, not all, but from some public school employees and administrators is real. And that has caused them to say, do I have other choices in this matter? Right. That's what happened with uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who really laid out a blueprint for success for Republicans in general. Terry McAuliffe saying, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. A state that apparently went 10 points to Biden the year before, Glenn Youngkin won with education voters, according to Washington Post exit polling, by six points. Republicans are usually not up on education. They have been down by double digits for decades until recently, especially in battleground states. Polling from Randy Weingarten's union even found that uh, pretty recently. So uh, Republicans have kind of started to lock arms even more on the issue. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. Democrats should support it for left-leaning arguments, too. It's more of an equalizer because we already have some form of... We have inequities in the current system, right? We have uh, zip code determines your school. So you can make left or right-leaning arguments for school choice. And if you pull voters, Democrats, independents, and uh, Republicans support it, even though yeah, Republicans majority. are higher. But in Texas in particular, the, the, so, it, it was on the ballot last year for Republican primary voters, 88% yeah. support. Yeah, no, and so let's, I want to see if we can figure some of this out too, just from what I see, what you see, is that you have... Uh, and a lot of times it is urban areas, at least in Texas, probably other states where they lean a little bit more Democrat. But there's this belief we've got to save the public school. Mm-hmm. And I think there's value to that. But, you know, what is it that you're I mean, I, I know that there are Democrats that that are supportive and see the value in school choice. Um, do you in the San Antonio area, it's a few more Democrats and maybe some other areas of the state. Um, anything that you're hearing, whether it's rumor, suggestion, whatever, that's, you know, that you think maybe some Democrats are at least listening a little bit more. That <laughs> their constituents are yeah, saying, hey, I mean, politi- Politicians respond to power, not logic. And the yeah. Democratic Party is owned by the teachers' unions and superintendents' yeah. unions. So that's the reality of the matter. Even We've had the logical arguments on our side for a long time. 
But at some point, some Democrats might have to defect if they start losing votes on the issue. And we saw this in Pennsylvania, Governor, uh, now Governor Josh Shapiro, right before the election, he put private school choice into his education platform because he was looking over at Virginia and said, I don't want to be a Terry McAuliffe. And he actually went on Fox News this year backing private school choice. He ended up ultimately caving to the teachers union. But that we're seeing the political winds shift for some Democrats is good news for me in the long run, for families at least, that this will lead to more school choice on a bipartisan matter. But Well, let me ask you this. The money that the Texas, uh, the, some of these school teachers unions, these teachers unions are getting, is it just here? I mean, I imagine they're getting money from other states and other parts of the country that are trying to influence our elections. Yeah, of course. You have state affiliates from Randy Weingarten's union. They're not just uh, owning the, the Democrats. They In red states, the unions are dumb in a lot of ways, but they're smart politically sometimes in that in deep red states, they know they're not going to get a Democrat majority. So in Texas, they're, they're, it's kind of a, a, a tough thing for them to do. No. So they start to play in one chamber, and they start to try to get enough Republican votes to block school choice. And so, in, like, look in Arizona, purplish state. They've already got universal school choice. They had one-seat GOP majorities in 2022, and they passed universal school choice with all Republicans showing up voting for their party platform. Think about North Carolina this year. They had every single Republican sign on to their universal school choice mm. bill in both chambers. Wow. And that's exactly enough votes they needed to override an, an expected veto by Roy Cooper, their hypocrite governor who sent his yeah. own kids oh, to private school. Don't get me started on him. But, <laughs> but you see some of that in the Texas House right now. You had 24 no votes against uh, school choice in the, in the regular session. I hear that that's changing particularly. Well, and some of it is... You know, which side are you going to end up falling on? Some of that I think is they were like, oh, I bet this isn't going to make it, so it's safe for me to, for me to be on this side. If they knew it was close to getting done and they were going to be the one that was the deciding vote. Right. As a matter of fact, um, our partner group, Texas Values Action, our scorecard came out last two weeks ago, and we scored several of those school choice votes. Uh, one of them in particular was on a budget issue, on a budget rider that related to this. And so we're, you want to know where, where Republicans and Democrats stand on the school choice issue. We scored those. Go to txvaluesaction.org. You can see the scorecard and where some of those votes came down. But, you know, I do think there's some Democrats that are looking at what's happening in the public schools in their areas and what's happening to some of the kids that don't really see this oftentimes from Republican and Democrat lens. They're looking for this from an opportunity perspective. Yeah. You know, what works better for me? And I think the families are seeing that too. And I, so I'm hoping we'll see this sort of breakthrough moment. This doesn't have to be a Republican victory. This should be a mm -hmm. child victory. You know, I'd love to see Republicans and Democrats come together on this. It should be, but uh, look, um, that's not how politics always works, right? And I think the way that we get there, we, we present the logical arguments from both sides, and I think that's a good start. But at, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be something I call hype bipartisanship through hyperpartisanship. Mm. The more that the GOP leans into this as a political winner, the more yeah. it becomes political suicide for the Democrats to oppose it. Well, and look, when you think about that 30 other states have already done it, what's Texas waiting for, right? right. And, and people will sometimes use the point, oh, well, depending on what poll you look at, Texas is very low on some education issues. I don't believe some of those sources, but even if that's true, then you have to wonder, then what are the other states doing? And right. we're missing an element. You talk about political power, though. I want to make sure we get this in. Governor Abbott, has been a key to this issue. Um, how do you sort of quantify his influence? And, and I look, I don't want to say this in a negative way towards our government, governor because he's only capable of so much, but is what he's doing, is that going to be enough to get us there? What do you think? I think this is what happened in Iowa just over the past couple of years. You had the 
bill passed the Iowa Senate that was led by uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, a true education freedom fighter. Yep. It passed with only one Republican defector, so easily passed. That's all Senate. you know. Sometimes same, I need sometimes, right? Yeah, and same. Well, and it was like a overwhelmingly supportive right, vote. Right. And then it moved over to the House. They had a sixty percent majority, kind of like in Texas, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah. So what she did was she engaged in primary races and took out a bunch of the incumbents. Uh, our group also uh, supported the school choice uh, candidates. And so we're, we're here at the American Federation for Children. We just launched a super PAC, AFC Victory Fund. We're excited to lock arms with, with Governor Abbott and Ted yeah. Cruz on supporting school choice. He's so if been it doesn't out there happen, too. Yeah. If it doesn't happen the easy way, like Governor Abbott said, we'll take school choice the hard way, which is well, you lose your seats. The governor has said that. Governor Abbott has said um, at least uh, three or four weeks ago, He'll call another special session if it doesn't get done in this one. And then he's going to move towards his strategy of the election issues, right, and, and how he supports people. And last time I heard, he's got a lot of money that he can spread around to support people. But, you know, um, and, and that's something for members. I think that could be something that moves people because a lot of times the governor does put out that support. There's a lot of mood out there, particularly on the Republican side, of candidates that are going to get a primary challenger, right? Yeah. So they might be looking for another way to handle that. But I also want to mention, you've seen some shifting in South Texas. You've seen, and I don't know that it's the school choice issue. I think it's a lot of values issues. But you've seen the Democrat Party lose two or three House seats yeah. just because members switch from Democrat to Republican. Ryan Guillen, J.M. Um, Lozano a few years ago. And others are considering that. The Dallas mayor, Eric Johnson, <laughs> just switched. I was in the Dallas airport over the, and I, I hear that announcement, and it's, you know, sometimes it irritates me because I worked with him in the House, and I know he doesn't agree with us because I thought he was Democrat. And now I'm like, oh, I heard him. Like, okay, that's a Republican governor of a big city. It's not as usual as it used to be in Texas. So, you know, if you're on the Democrat side, you have to worry, you know, you're losing seats, you're losing influence. But a lot of that to me, I think, is because. Um, they're refusing to listen to people on key issues that Texans care about. You got the last word, 10 seconds. And I'm right. well, it's out. time for Texas to fund students, not systems, just like 10 other states have done so in the past two years. This is a GOP litmus test issue. Governor Abbott's going to get it done, and parents are going to win in the end. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Corey DeAngelis has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. You see value in our work, go to our website, txvalues.org. Make that tax-deductible donation, and that's how together we'll protect faith, family, and freedom in Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.